Good morning, and <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for leading us in worship and for all that energy and enthusiasm. That was beautiful. <clears throat> John Gottman is a respected psychologist that has spent 40, the past 40 years studying marriage and marriage stability. He became famous for his research at the University of Washington in what has become known as his love lab. In it, he would bring couples in to interview and video them, and he would watch them interact, and he would observe their physical data, their heart rate, their sweating, their temperature. He would also observe their facial expressions and their body language, and then, of course, what they were saying. He would then send them home and invite them to return six years later if they were still together. He is credited with making all kinds of contributions to the study of marriage stability. He is also said to be able to predict with 93% accuracy if a marriage will end in divorce based on certain behavioral patterns in marriage. What are they? Well, Although John Gottman is an Orthodox Jew, he named his findings after a New Testament teaching. He called them the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse because he said they can predict the end of a relationship. And I have these on your paper. After watching thousands of couples argue, he identified four specific negative communication patterns. They were criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Gary Chapman, he wrote a book on communication. He found similar observations. He wrote, when divorced couples were asked, why did your marriage fail? 86% said deficient communication, end quote. The research, the statistics show that negative communication or lack of it can have a major impact on marriage. This morning is our last lesson on God's design for building your marriage, and today our topic is going to be communication. What does God's Word have to teach us on this subject? If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? We're going to start with Ephesians chapter 4. This was a part of your homework. We're going to read um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 through 32. I'm going to have a helper today because I'm struggling to talk. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed in the day of redemption, but all bitterness and wrath and anger clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you okay thank you in all the years we've had um, abide we have never really had a lesson on communication so this morning we want to start with some basics on it let's define it what are we talking about what do we mean by communication so number one on your papers is Ashley I'm going to have you read this Number one on your papers. Communication is the giving and receiving of information. Okay. <clears throat> it's the speaking and the listening. 
It's the back and forth. It's going to involve the self-revelation on the part of one person and the listening on the part of the other. All right, now, why would that be something that we talk about in a Bible class? Well, here's our next point. Number two, communication was God's idea. Our God is a communicating God. All right, now, I want you to keep your fingers in Ephesians because we're coming back there, but I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I want you to look at verse 3. Genesis 1, 3 says, Then God, what? Said, said. Third verse in the Bible, and we learn something very important about God. He speaks. He speaks. He speaks and something happened. In this chapter, he speaks and literally brings forth life. By verse 26, we see him communicating with the Godhead. By verse 28, he's communicating with man. You cannot read the first chapter of the Bible without being hit over the head with the truth that our God speaks. He is a communicating God, and he did it well. All right, here's our next point, number three. We were created for communication that should reflect the intimate and harmonious communication of God himself. Okay, now, if that's what we were created for, then why are we so bad at it? Why are 86% of divorces a result of bad communication? Well, if we were to keep reading, we would read in chapter 2 that God is speaking to man and he gives him the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then in chapter 3, we read that the man and the woman disobey. All right, now, then you get to verse 7 and it gives us some more insights. So turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and I'm going to have Ashley read those. Genesis 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Very good. Thank you. All right. It says their eyes were opened. All right. Just before this, they were having perfect, they had a perfect relationship with each other. Okay, they had intimacy with God, they had intimacy with each other, but then they eat the fruit and everything changes. Now, I want you to notice it's impossible to have perfect intimacy while you're hiding in the trees. Okay, I want you to notice God, he's calling out to them, but they're not answering, they're hiding. Okay, so I want you to get a picture of this visual in your head. Okay, because this is the exact opposite of communion. It's the exact opposite of communication. Here's our next point, number four. Broken communion and intimacy were an immediate result of sin. Their communion with God was broken, and you can see that in the fact that he's hiding, they're hiding from him, and then communication with the, or communion with each other was broken. All right, their sin is separating them from God. It's even separating them from each other. 
All right, that brings us to our next point, number five. Our communication is an overflow of the heart. It's an overflow of the heart. Now turn with me to Matthew 12. Go to the New Testament, Matthew 12, verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. Good, thank you. Okay, if you've got a redeemed heart, if you've got good treasure, then that's what's going to flow out. All right, um, John MacArthur, he has an interesting way of putting that. He says the mouth is a tattletale of the heart. Okay, the mouth is simply revealing what's down inside the heart. Okay, so our communication, our speech, is an overflow of what is down in our heart. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, hey, just wait there a minute. My communication is the overflow of the really bad day that I'm having. I haven't slept in three nights. And I got a house full of sick kids. And my, and my nerves are shot. And my husband comes in and he says something kind of negative, And then I say something back. My speech is an overflow of the really crappy day I've just had. No. Your speech is the overflow of your heart. Jesus said, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. You are like a tube of toothpaste. And what comes out when you're squeezed is what you've got in down inside. <clears throat> Communication is first and foremost a matter of the heart. Here's our next point, number six. Our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. As Paul Tripp puts it this way, he says, God has invested our words with power. And you had a number of verses um, in your homework that address this. Our words have power. When I was a young girl, my grandmother was famous for lining us all up for family pictures. And she had um, a little brownie camera, which is really dating me, but it was outdated when she used it. And um, it was one of those cameras you had to look down like this to take your picture. And she was very short, and so she was always cutting off people's heads. And <laughs> this was back in the day when you had to pay to have your pictures um, printed before you knew what they looked like. And so um, she was kind of famous for that. Well, it's Christmas morning, and she wants my brother and my sister and I to line up in front of the tree to get our picture taken. And um, my little brother... He gets out of the line and he says, oh, I want to get my toy. And he ran and he got one of his new toys to have in the picture. I say, I'm the oldest, I say, wait, I want to get my doll. And I start to leave the line. And my grandpa says to me, oh, Heidi, get back in the line. You're as bad as the dog. If you were to look at that picture today, you would be able to see that it looks like I'm getting ready to cry. Because I was. I was just devastated. I wasn't trying to be a nuisance. It was Christmas. I just wanted to have my doll in the picture. 
do you know that's one of my strongest memories of him? It's one of my strongest childhood memories at all. Now, as an adult, I know that he loved me. As an adult, I know he was a good man, but that's what the thing that I remember about him. And at the same time, I had another grandpa, and you know, he was always telling me how much he loved me. And he would say, I have five granddaughters and I love them all. Now, I know the man told me other things, but do you know that's what I remember that him, said, him saying? Our words have power. They can hurt, they can encourage, they can comfort, they can give hope. Brings us to our next point. Our communication is to minister. It's to minister. Now I want you to look back at Ephesians 29 because it says that we are to put aside all corrupting talk. Now that word corrupting, <clears throat> that was a word that was used to describe something rotten, you know, like rotten fruit or decaying fish, right? That's the way we used to talk before we became a Christian. And we are to put that aside and then we are to take that off and instead use our communication to minister. Now, what will that look like? Well, for starters, it's going to be communication that builds up. It's going to be communication that edifies. It's going to be communication that's good for the hearer and fitting for the moment. It's going to fit the occasion. Now, that could take on many different forms. It might be something compassionate. It might be something corrective. It might be something confrontational, but whatever it is, it's going to fit the moment. It's going to be what the moment needs. Have you ever said something and then thought afterwards, oh, it felt good to get that off my chest? It's not that. Okay? There's nothing selfish about this. All right? This is communication that is benefiting the hearer. It's benefiting the moment. It's communication that's ministering. Now, at the end of verse 29, it says that it may give grace to those who hear. Grace is something that you receive that you don't deserve. Paul is saying, I want you to communicate in such a way that you give people something they don't deserve. You use your communication to minister, to give grace. You're going to lay down your life for the benefit of those that are listening to you. Does that describe your communication? Now, you might be thinking, that's impossible. That's an impossible task, and you're right. Here's our next point, number eight. Graceful, edifying communication is impossible apart from the redeeming work of Christ. This instruction is not Oprah talking to her audience. This is Paul's instruction for believers. People with the spirit and the power of God living inside of them. Okay, verse 30 says, do not grieve the spirit. Okay, the only way, the only way that you will be able to do any of this will be through the spirit of God that lives in you. Okay, now those are some basics about communication. I want us to spend the remainder of our time 
getting a little more specific and a little more practical about communication in our marriage. Now, on your papers, I have a little box where I have the five levels of communication, and you may have seen these things before. Sometimes authors will use um, different words, and, but they kind of carry the same idea. For instance, that first level, some call it small talk or hallway talk. This is the level that's very surfacy, very shallow. Maybe you're talking to a stranger about the weather. Maybe you pass somebody at church and you say, hi, how are you? Very good. How are you? And it's just very, very um, surfacy. All right, that's the first level. All right, level two. That's called the informational stage where you're exchanging some facts. Um, there was an accident on the interstate on the way home. Johnny has a soccer game on Thursday. Okay, you're exchanging um, information. All right, level three is opinions. Now you're sharing opinions. I think she's a great cook. Okay, level four, you're kicking it up even more. It's the emotional stage or the feelings stage. Let me tell you how I feel about something. All right, now you're going to notice at this level, you're more self-revealing at this stage and you're discussing your feelings. Now, you need to understand at this level, if somebody rejects you or acts like they don't care, you're going to be a lot more careful about sharing with that person the next time. And it's something you're going to want to keep in mind with your husbands. Because if you're doing something like this, you don't, don't wonder why he doesn't share with you. Okay? Now, the last level... Some call this the needs level, where you're able to communicate your needs, and some others will call this the honest level. But either way, it's considered to be the most intimate level, where you're free to share your most intimate thoughts and feelings because it's safe. Right now, I want you to see that with every level, there's an increase in intimacy, in oneness. There is also an increased chance of conflict and rejection. All right, here's our next point. Number nine, communication is absolutely necessary if we are to reach intimacy. The goal of communication is communion. It's intimacy. Okay, and the higher the level of communication, the better chance for intimacy. So, how are we to be better communicators? How can we create an atmosphere that encourages it? And then how do we navigate the conflicts that could arise along the way? All right, turn with me to Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. Proverbs 20. Verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Okay, good. Here's our next point. Number 10. Communicating with our husbands will involve drawing out his thoughts and feelings. Okay, good communication is going to in draw, is going to involve drawing a person out. Now, I want you to look back at that list of levels, and you're going to notice that level one, level two, it really doesn't require you to draw anyone out, but the higher up the list, it does, doesn't it? Okay, we had a pattern, we've had a pattern in our marriage over the years 
especially as empty nesters, where my husband comes home from work and I try to have a nice um, dinner for him. It's nothing fancy, but I try to set the table and the TV's off. And the, and the idea is to be able to linger over dinner and catch up and talk and find out how our days went. And I began to notice that I was doing all the talking. He would, um, he's always been very sweet and kind about that. He comes in and he wants to know about my day. He'll ask me, have you heard any from the kids? He always wants an update on them. And then I just, blah, 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 I talk and talk. Well, I began to notice that when I asked him, how's your day? You know, he's answering with one, so he's answering with one word answers. Well, it was good. It was fine. Busy. And, um, and he never would elaborate. Well, we began praying after our dinner. And when we were talking about our prayer requests, he starts bringing up all these um, concerns. And he's got problems at work and issues with certain jobs. And there's people in his life and things that he's concerned about. And I'm listening to that. And I'm thinking to myself, wow. This man has all kinds of things that he's thinking on and concerned about, and I had never made any attempt to draw any of that out. You may have a husband that's giving you one-word answers. You may have a husband that doesn't say much. Now, it is possible that he has reached his talking limit for the day because that is a real thing. But it also may be because we need to practice this verse and draw him out. All right, brings me to our next skill. Number 11, develop the skill of listening. <coughs> Learn to listen. We women, sometimes we think that we have got to fill in all the dead air space. We don't, we don't. The book of James tells us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. Arthur Robinson, he wrote a book on communication and listened to what he claimed. Effective listening is the number one communication skill requisite to success in your professional and personal life. Do you know how to listen? Dr. James Lynch of the University of Maryland, he documented that an actual healing of the cardiovascular system takes place when we listen. He said blood pressure rises when people speak and lowers when they listen. In fact, he said studies showed that blood pressure is actually lower when people are listening than when they are staring silently to a blank wall. That means... That means that listening to your husband will not only be good for your marriage, it's good for your health. Isn't that just the way of God and his word? Okay, I want us to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Genesis 1, 27. Do I have this? Mm -hmm. Okay, I want you to read that. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, now we've already referred to this. We've said that we've been created in the image of God. We are communicators like him, but there's something else we want to see from this verse. Number 12 on your papers. Male and female communicate distinctly. All right, we have talked about this before. God has created male and female to be two 
distinct genders. Now, our genders are complementary, but they are distinct. So, it stands to reason that men are going to communicate in one way that is distinctly male, and women are going to communicate in a way that is distinctly female. And it's all good. Now, I need to apologize. We have talked a lot about womanhood in the past, and we've talked about how we are the ones that are more relational, and a man is going to be more um, uh, work is going to be more important to a man, and relationships are going to be more important to women. And I fear that I have implied that because we are the more relational, that we are superior to men in this. And so I need to be very, very clear. We communicate and we relate differently, and they are both right. Okay? This is not a matter of one being right and the other being wrong. Both are right, both are good. Now, Emerson Egerich, he wrote a book called Love and Respect. And in it, he explains some of this. He says that women, we are looking through life with pink lenses and pink hearing aids. And men are using blue lenses and blue hearing aids. Are women right in the way that they relate and interpret? Yes. Are men right in the way that they relate and interpret? Yes. How can they both be right? Well, because God has created two distinct genders to put his glory on display. Both ways are needed. All right, now usually what happens, this is what we do. We start thinking we need to fix them. They need to be more articulate. They need to be more expressive. They need to be willing to talk this out. They need to deal with this like we do and, be, and deal with it like women. No. No, they don't. They are men, and we need to affirm their manhood. That brings me to a um, quote from Emerson Egerich, and it's number 13 on your papers. Is it 13 on your papers? Okay. Um, number 13, women need to learn how to understand and use the word respect, because in truth, Respect is a man's deepest value. Now, he makes a very strong case in his book that if we want our husbands to communicate love to us, then we need to communicate respect to them. The pink lenses and the pink hearing aids, that's love, and the blue lenses and the blue hearing aids is respect. Okay, according to Egerich, a man, men interpret their world through a respect grid. Have you ever heard anyone say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? Okay, well here's a good recommendation for wives. If you can't say anything respectful, don't say anything at all, okay? We need to take whatever it is that we have to say and communicate it and wrap it in blue, okay? Before we speak, we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say respectful? Is how I'm about to say it respectful? What's your tone of voice? What's your body language? Do you have your hand on your hip? Are you leaning in with your finger wagging? 
Men supposedly interpret that as contempt. And I want you to notice that contempt is one of those four things on the list of the four horsemen. Egerich said this, a wife's softened tone and facial expression can do more for her marriage than she can imagine. Do you need to soften your tone and your facial expression? Gottman's Four Horsemen, I want you to take a look at this list because it's helpful. One of the first things on there is criticizing, and we women can be very good at that. All right, now, you may have a husband that's more critical than you. That, that happens sometimes. But generally, this is something that we women struggle with. And there's a good reason for that. A lot of the time, we are criticizing because we want to help them. All right? We pick and fuss at what they eat because we're concerned about their health. You know, we fuss and pick at the way they drive because we don't want them to be in an accident or get a ticket. We, we, we criticize. Now, sometimes we're just being ugly, but, some, but sometimes we criticize because we really do want to help the man that we love. Okay, here's the problem. They're wearing blue hearing aids. Okay, so it does not come across as that. For them, criticism to a man is received as contempt. And the contempt is the opposite of respect. They do not see our criticism as helpful. They see it as an attack against their personhood. They see it as our disrespecting them. Are you constantly reminding him over and over again of things that he has to remember to do? One man explained that makes men feel like you do not trust them. Like you are disappointed in them. It makes them feel inadequate. Again, opposite of respect. So what should you do? Well, I want you to write on your papers in big letters the word soft. As women, we are to be the softer, gentler gender. And that is exactly what we're going to need in our speech. Is there a soft, gentle, respectful way that I can say this? My husband um, came, out, came out dressed for church one week, and it was right smack in the middle of Christmas. And he comes out, and he's just completely dressed for spring. He's got just the spring colors, just everything. Now, he usually likes me to help, you know, tell him about how, you know, how to, you know, if something looks right or matches. He generally uh, wants my help in that area. So I take a look at him. First of all, I tell him, you look very handsome today. It's true. I felt that he did. And then I said, okay, you know what? Maybe after today, let's put that shirt in the back of your closet and not bring that out till spring. Um, right now is a good time for your reds and your greens and your plaids. You know those new plaid shirts? Now's probably a good time for those. Now, at this point, he's got a choice. He can either go back and change his shirt, or he doesn't have to. I've given him some helpful fashion advice that he typically wants, but I haven't belittled him. I haven't embarrassed him. I haven't disrespected him. Now, it turns out he didn't change his shirt. He didn't care. He just put, like, this jacket thing over it. So that's all cool. But the next time he got dressed, he put on the winter clothes. Um, what's my point? My point is um, we, need, we need to rein in the criticism. And we need to find soft, gentle, respectful ways to be helpers.
So, all right, also, one of the differences that you likely know is that men and women, we handle conflict and we handle arguments differently. Chances are, when you and your husband are having a conversation, things start to get a little heated and your tempers are rising. Typically, the woman becomes very verbal. You might get up in his business, okay? And, and the husband, he's probably going to get angry. And then before things are resolved, he may walk away. And you may do something like this. You might follow after him and say something like this. I can't believe you're walking away. I can't believe you're leaving now. We need to talk this thing out. And then maybe he will um, just leave and say nothing. Or he may say something like this. I'm going to bed. And you're thinking, how can you sleep right now? The reality is we often think that because they are leaving, they do not care. The reality is he is probably withdrawing so he can think. The blue brain does not multitask like we do when it comes to processing feelings and emotions and thoughts. We process by talking it through. They do not. They will likely need to step away and think and return later to talk. Do you remember... Um, when I gave you the example of when we were talking about sex and thinking about sex, and I gave you the example of saying men are the international airports and women are the small landing fields for uh, private, uh, private planes and jets. Well, when it comes <clears throat> to emotions and feelings and conflicts and processing all of that, women are the international airports and your men are your small little landing fields. Okay, now here's our next point, and it's A on your paper. <clears throat> a man needs to think things through. <clears throat> Their brains work differently than ours. A woman's brain is wired to talk about things, and a man's brain is wired to act upon things. They may have trouble putting their uh, feelings into words and then you throw in emotions and that makes it all the more difficult. One man gave a really good example. He likened it to the way a woman would feel if she were driving in a car and didn't have a map and did not know where she was going. She would be very uncomfortable. That would make her very uncomfortable. Well, he said it is like that for a man when he is having a heated emotionally charged discussion with his wife. He feels like there is no map and he does not know where he's going. Gottman discovered that 85% of men withdraw during conflict. Now he called that stonewalling. And he pointed out that when men get into arguments, their heart rate rises significantly and they sort of switch over into warrior mode. And so walking away is not only needed for them to be able to think, but because they see things escalate, it is also the honorable thing for them to do. Here's our next point, B, on your papers. A man needs time to think things through. The brain experts they tell us as a general rule, men take longer to process their emotions. They take longer 
to process issues of emotional importance. One writer said scientists have found that men take up to seven hours longer than women to process complex emotive data. So you know what that means? That means you're going to give your husband some space. You're going to give him some time to process what is going on. You're going to save yourselves a lot of tears if you do this. Now you may be thinking, well, what about that verse? What if it's in the evening? What about that verse that says, do not let the sun go down upon your anger? Good point. Do not let the sun go down upon your anger. Go to your husband and ask, can we agree to talk about this tomorrow after you've had a chance to think things through or later? Here's our next point. C, a man thinks through everything. Shanti Feldhahn explained in her research that men think everything through. And by that, she explained that for everything your husband does, he likely has his own reason and logic for why he did it. Now, it may be a really bizarre reason to you, but, it will be, but he'll have a reason. She wrote in her book that in all of her research, she never, she never came across a man that was asked what he had been thinking, and they answered, I don't know. Now, that she pointed out that men describe that when a woman asks, why'd you do that, or what were you thinking, that that comes across very disrespectful, and it's likely to put your husband on edge. But there is apparently a very easy fix. You're going to soften it. Here's some suggested ways they recommended. They say to say something like this, I know you must have had a reason. Can you help me to understand why you did it that way? Or, I'm not there yet. Can you help me understand your reasoning? Now think about it. One way, this way, now you're approaching them with some respect. Now you're not assuming that they're some ding-dong and they haven't given anything any thought. Now, now you're assuming they have thought this through. Just help me understand your thinking. Now, she has a, an interesting challenge. She says, women, try this. She can almost always guarantee that they will have a well-thought-out explanation that they're able to give you. Um, I can tell you I have tried this, and it's, it's very useful and very helpful. All right, here's the next thing. D, a man needs time to think about nothing. One man likened a man's brain to a big container that people just dump stuff into all day long. And then at some point, it gets filled up and he just can't take in anymore. In fact, they, they, they feel the need to go dump. And um, they do that because they will, as they do that, they will likely be drawn to do something somewhat mindless. You know, they come home, they want to uh, play video games or sit in front of the TV, or maybe they want to cut the grass or wash the car, something that just doesn't um, require uh, 
you to think too hard. All right, so now what does that tell you? Well, when your husband comes home from work at the end of the day, his container is likely filled up. That is probably not a good time to discuss the budget or whether you should homeschool or some deep type of topic like that. You're going to want to give him a chance to decompress, give him a chance to empty his container. Uh, you are going to have better conversations and fewer arguments if you keep that in mind. All right, the Gospel Coalition. They had an article entitled, Five Surefire Ways to Motivate Your Son to Use Pornography. And one of the five ways was for a son to observe a non-communicative couple. Since watching porn requires no verbal communication, it's the perfect setup. Your children need to see godly, healthy communication. I want us to close with a quote by Ken Boa. Here's what he said, number 14 on your paper. Effective communication does not happen by accident. It is a skill which requires the discipline of development. Would you pray with me? Father God, you have invested our words with power. I pray we will be women that lay our lives down that give grace to those who hear, that are women that speak edifying words that are good for the moment. I pray that you will equip us to do that and that you will convict us, convict us when we don't. Father, our goal is to glorify you. Put your name on display as majestically as possible with our speech. And Father, we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. See you next fall. <laughs>